Good morning. Well, uh, uh, Thursday at lunch, uh, Dan, Jeffrey, and I uh, met at a restaurant in uh, Fort Myers and uh, had lunch. And uh, when the waitress brought out our check at the end for me to sign the credit card slip, uh, I looked down, and the pen that she had handed me was a crosspoint pen from back in the days when we were printing pens. And uh, we laughed, and she's like, "What's funny?" And I said, "Well, I'm the pastor of that church." And uh, so, uh, but it was a reminder for me that uh, you know, throughout our history, I have been so proud of you guys. Because uh, you have boldly, courageously, every chance you had uh, to invite your friends, to talk about Crosspoint, and to point people to Jesus. And that's, that's what we're all about. I mean, that is, that is our mission. We want to point people and connect them in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then we want to connect them in community. And I'm so grateful that you live that out. And uh, as you've been living that out, especially recently, uh, we, we've got to make sure that we continue to make space for people that need to know Jesus. And so with that in mind, uh, we uh, have made a decision and decided that uh, beginning Sunday, March the 4th, we're going to begin offering three worship experiences every Sunday morning because we have got to create more seats at optimal times for people to come and hear about Jesus. So uh, those services, uh, the times will be 8.30, 9.50, and 11.15. 8.30, 9.50, and 11.15. That means for you guys, Seriously, we need at least half of you to make the switch to 8.30 and to come and worship at 8.30 because we believe the most optimal time when people will, who don't know Jesus and who don't go to church will want to come will be that 9.50 time. And so we want to create as many seats as we possibly can at that time for them to come and to hear about Jesus. So we're asking you to do that, to make that sacrifice or to make that switch to 8.30. We're also, here's the other thing that's going to have to happen. Some of you who aren't currently serving on Sunday mornings, you've got to step up and serve. Uh, because just in Kid Point alone, the addition of one service creates more than 25 volunteer spots that have to be filled. And that's just in Kid Point. So um, we need you to step up and to serve. So to come and worship and one experience one hour and to stay and serve another hour uh, is what we're going to need to happen. But it's worth it, you know. And I, w- I have uh, not in any way would I apologize for asking you to make those commitments because uh, it's not about us. It's not about making Cross Point bigger. It's about building the kingdom of God. And I will never apologize for asking people to step up and to make it possible for more people to know Jesus. And so uh, thank you for what I know you're going to do. And it's going to be a little fun little journey as we uh, take the next 30 days to get ready for that. And uh, staff is already feverishly at work preparing for that. And uh, pretty excited to see what happens on uh, March the 5th, March the 4th, um, when we launch that. Okay, today's the 5th. Well, hey, let's uh, jump into this new series. How about that? Okay, we're going to talk about Live Stronger. For uh, six weeks, we're going to dig deeply into the book of James in the Bible, which I think is probably the most uh, practical, wisdom-filled book in the New Testament. And uh, some of the lessons that we're going to learn when we apply these lessons to our lives, what James teaches, we will become more like Jesus, and that makes it possible for us to live stronger. So uh, if you brought your Bible today, would you find your way to uh, the book of uh, James, chapter 1, where we're going to be this morning. Now, if you're joining us on our YouVersion Live event, you can uh, flip there. And uh, I have a challenge for you. I hope that you are uh, following along in our uh, SOAP guide, which is our daily Bible reading. And uh, beginning tomorrow morning, we're going to, if you're following along in that, and I hope all of you will, at least during this series, we're going to read through the book of James four times. Because I don't want you just to come on Sunday mornings and hear this stuff and go, well, that was nice. Um, I want it to get into your head and into your hearts, and then I want you to live it out. And one of the ways that that will happen is for us to talk about it on Sunday mornings, but then for you to be reading it 
throughout the week. And so I want to challenge you, would you start with me tomorrow morning and let's read through the book of James four times over the course of the next several weeks and really get this stuff into our hearts and minds and live it out like Jesus wants us to. Glenn Chambers was a young man uh, many years ago who had a desire to go to the mission field. And so he went to Bible college, he did missions training, he did all of his uh, raising of support and uh, got everything ready to go. During the process of all of this, his, uh, there was some tension between him and his parents. Uh, they were, on one hand, kind of excited about what he was going to do, but very fearful for what it would entail. And so there, were, there was tension. On the night that he was uh, going to fly out of New York towards Ecuador, which is where he was headed for the mission field, he sat in the airport and uh, he thought, you know, I, I just want to write my parents one last note. This was before all the modern conveniences of texting and all that. So he, he was reading this magazine and there was a, a blank page bank space on part of one page and that's the only paper he had so he ripped that sheet of the magazine out and he he jotted a note folded it up put an envelope addressed it and put it in the mail before he got on the plane you used to be able to do all that in an airport but uh, so he he gets on the plane and uh, starts his journey towards ecuador and as they approached ecuador a fourteen thousand foot mountain reached up into the sky and grabbed that airplane and they crashed glenn chambers never made it to ecuador and uh, his parents buried him, and a few days after the funeral, that letter came in the mail to them, and uh, they took it out, and they read his note, and he had just written about his love, but they turned it over, and on the back side, there was just one word on the page that he had torn out of that magazine, and that one word was, why? Why? It is a word that hurts the most, isn't it? It lingers, it's a question that lingers the longest. And it is a question that at some point in all of our lives, we have all asked, why God? And it's a question that I want to try to do my best today to give at least some kind of answer based on what James writes in his book here. Why? Why God? So if you've uh, found your way uh, to James uh, chapter 1, let's uh, jump right into what he says here. Verse 1 says this, James a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the author of this book is James, and uh, he happens to be Jesus' brother, or his half-brother. And he says it's to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So these uh, 12 tribes scattered among the nations, basically he's saying, I'm writing this to fellow Jews who have also become believers in Jesus Christ, and they're scattered around the world. And then he starts in with these words. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy. Do you know those words are, a, are written in the form of a command? Yeah, James is commanding us to consider it pure joy. Now, he's not saying that we ought to be happy about all life's struggles. The, the word joy in the Greek language, there are, it can mean several different things. Uh, there is one word for joy that means laughter, but that's not the word here. There is another word in the Greek language that means kind of happy, giddy, you know. I think of a bunch of schoolgirls, but that probably is, well, anyway, uh, not fair, huh? So, but that's not the word here. The word for joy that is used here is the idea of a, of a deep-seated sense of commitment. It, it is an expression of peacefulness. The Bible calls it in other places a peace that passes understanding. 
Peg and I went to the beach Monday. We had a friend in town, and so we uh, went to Sanibel, and uh, she and her friend were walking along the beach. In fact, they walked the whole time. Not me. I sat in a chair. You know, I thought Monday, there are those moments when I'm on the beach like that, or sometimes on vacation, maybe in the mountains. There, There are moments where it seems like I can just sort of put everything else out of my mind for just at least that instant. And sitting there watching the water and the breeze blowing in my face and the weather was so wonderful, there was just a moment where I felt very at peace. And I think maybe those moments when we experience that, it's a glimpse of the kind of thing that James is talking about when he says to consider it joy. When he presses this idea that we can have this this sense of peace. But the reality is that that trouble does come into our lives, doesn't it? And the question is, how, when those troubles come, am I supposed to have this this sense of peace? How am I supposed to have this sense of contentment in the midst of really difficult struggles? And, And I think that at least part of the answer comes from understanding why it is that God allows us to go through trials, and difficult times in our lives. Now, hear me on this. What I didn't say was understanding why God causes us to go through these difficult times because the Bible never indicates that God is the one that causes our troubles and struggles. They are just a result of living in a fallen world on this earth. But why is it that God allows us to have to experience those things? No, I think uh, understanding that begins um, with understanding part of what James is teaching here. Do you know that um, you used to have to, this is a flower sifter, and uh, you used to have to you know, put the flower, I mean, I know you still do this when you need it to be real fine, but you used to be, I learned this week, that uh, flour, you know, some time ago, when you bought it, it, it came in lumps. And the only way to, to make the flour useful was to sift it. And only through the, the process of sifting the flour, and that takes a while, doesn't it? Um, only through the process of sifting the flour did it become useful. This goes back to an ancient practice. In, in ancient times, they would sift the wheat. They, they would harvest the stalks of grain, and they would put it on a, a threshing floor, and the oxen would walk over it, breaking off the the stalks, and they would take a winnowing fork and they would flip that around until they eventually had gotten all of the stalks broken off. And then they would take the wheat part that remains with that winnowing fork and they would toss it into the air and the wind would blow the chaff away, leaving only the, the good grain. Grain that now became useful for making food. Grain that now became useful to use as seed for future crops. It was a process of sifting. Without the sifting, the wheat was essentially no good. Without sifting, flour used to be very unusable. Encountering troubles in our lives is like a sifting. It's like a sifting. That's what James seems to say. Listen again to verses 3 and 4. He says, Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
there is this sifting. Trials, troubles, life's difficulties created for us a, a painful process that leaves us broken, then refined and strengthened and grown and empowered for the future. In other words, this process of sifting in our lives makes us more like Jesus and allows us to live stronger. Now, Jesus' disciples went through sifting in their lives. In fact, I want to focus on two of his his disciples, two of his closest followers, Peter and Judas. They they both experienced a number of trials, a number of moments of struggle in their lives over three years while they were with Jesus. There were some very serious sifting moments for these two. There was the night they were they were out on a fishing boat, just uh, kind of cruising along, and suddenly the wind and the waves picked up, and a violent storm came along and began to just blow that boat everywhere. And the Bible says they were very afraid, very afraid. It was a, it was a troubling moment. It was a sifting moment for them. There were those moments in their lives where the crowds would gather, and while some of the crowds celebrated what Jesus was doing, there were parts of the crowd that made ridiculous demands and sometimes pressed in against what they were doing and and those moments were troubling for them and and then there were the religious leaders the the religious leaders of their days who at times would threaten their very lives and that was troubling it was it was a sifting moment for them in fact it's interesting jesus was one day having a, a conversation with peter who was also called simon and listen to what jesus says jesus says simon simon Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus says there's going to be some times of sifting in your life, Peter. And I'm praying that when the sifting comes, your faith will be strong. And after you've gone through the sifting process, that you'll be stronger on the other side. And you'll be ready to help encourage others. And point them towards me. And think about the results of the sifting process in these two men's lives. Think about Peter. Peter, after he had gone through incredible times of sifting, difficult trials and troubles, you know what? He came out on the other end stronger. His faith was firm. He he came out and courageously changed the lives of thousands of people by pointing them towards Jesus. Judas, on the other hand, came out of his sifting weakly, faithless, to the point where he denies Jesus and takes his own life. Two men, same sifting, very different results. You see, all of us are going to encounter troubles and trial and life struggles. We are. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's happening for a lot of you right now. God wants to use those times of trouble to sift our lives, to strengthen us, to prepare us for other things. The question is, and it's our choice, the question is, how are we going to respond to these moments of trial and trouble? Will we count it all joy, which James says is is a command. He invites us, he commands us to consider it that way. Will we we see it that way? Will we embrace it? I... uh, heard of a pastor, actually he was here in Florida, 
he would have count it all joy parties. Now, here's what he would do. When, he, when he's got into moments of life where he was really struggling with something, he'd get on the phone and he'd call some of his friends and say, hey, come over, I'm having a party. And they you know, would inevitably ask, well, what's the occasion? Is it your birthday? Are you celebrating an anniversary? Did something good happen at work? And he'd say, no, actually, I'm going through a really, really difficult time. I'm encountering some real struggles in life. And I want to have you come over. Let's celebrate what I'm going through because I know that when I come out the other side, I'm going to be better because of that. And he threw counted all joy parties. And I'm doubting that any of us have ever done that. I haven't. But maybe we ought to learn to embrace our moments of trouble when they come. Not that we ought to sit around and say, oh, you know, I really wish I'd had some trouble today. No. But what James seems to say is that when they do come along, I ought to be willing to embrace them because God is going to use them to make me better on the other side. Now, James doesn't stop there. I think he gives us several things in the remaining part of this chapter that can help us in our lives that when the trials do come and we want to count it as all joy, that we can do to make that possible. So let's look at several things. Now, usually when we read chapter 1, I think we read it in parts. And uh, I've, I've been guilty of this. We break James chapter 1 down into several parts, like it's several different lessons. And there are a lot of different applications that can be made from this book. But I read it this week and realized, I think, if you read it as one long chapter, as James wrote it, that all of these things tie together. And they all come back to what he says about, count it all joy when you face trials. So first thing that I noticed that he says is, uh, you gotta, and it's the most obvious, you've got to pray. You've got to pray. Listen to verse 5. And if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, he should pray, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, here's the thing. When we encounter troubles and trials, we pray, but here's how we usually pray. The first thing we pray is, God, take this away. God, heal me. God, give me a job. God, get rid of the disease. God, help me overcome the crisis. God, get me out of this. And you know what? It's not wrong to pray those things. But do you notice what James says we ought to pray for? James says the first thing I ought to pray for is wisdom. Wisdom to know how to get through it. And here's the great thing about God. He wants to give us that wisdom generously if we'll simply ask him. You ever had to ask somebody a question for the second or third time and they give you that look like, what, are you a dummy or something? I already told you. You know what? Here's the great thing about requesting things from God. He's not going to treat you that way. God does not treat you that way. He's not going to make fun of you. He's not, he doesn't think you're dumb for asking. He desires for you to ask. And the first thing when trouble comes along, when we face life's struggles, if you want to be able to count it all joy, the first thing we ought to ask for is, God, give me wisdom and give me strength to know how to navigate through this. Second thing he says is you got to trust. Listen to verse 6. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. Years ago, Peg and I were, uh, we owned part of a boat uh, with some friends. And so, I mean, we used the whole boat, but we only owned part of it. So, um, so I can remember going out on that boat out to near Sanibel Island and the motor dying. Now, 
I was smart enough. I didn't know a lot about boating, but I knew that the first thing that I needed to do was what? I needed to drop the anchor. If I hadn't dropped the anchor while I tried to get the motor going again, it was kind of choppy that day. You, you know what would have happened. The wind and the waves would have blown us all over the place. And we would have had no control over where we're going. That's how James describes our lives when we doubt. Now hear me on this. Hear me on this. The language that's used here is not language that says that I should never have any questions or that I'm not going to have some issues along the way, or that I'm not even going to have some moments where I wonder about God. See, you know what the language is talking about here? This is the idea of divided loyalty. This is the person who, when, think, when they're in trouble, they run to God. God, help me now, help me. But when everything's okay, they don't want anything to do with God. They just go off and they, they do their own thing. They're not really concerned about what God says and living the way God wants them to. And they don't really want God to have any part in their life until, until there's that moment when they think they're in trouble and then like he's the genie for them, God, would you help me out? That's the kind of language here. And James, James says, we've got to be a people that, so that when we get to the point where we face troubles, because they're going to come, we've got to have a deep-seated trust in God. And we've got to have an undivided loyalty to him all the time in our lives. Because we're in relationship with him when the trials come along. Number three, we gotta we gotta stand. We gotta stand. Look at verse. Uh, skip down a few to verse uh, thirteen. I, there's so much here, and I don't have time to to deal with it in great detail today. So I'm skipping around a little bit. So verse thirteen says this: When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, we have to stand. Now, here's what I, here's what I think James is saying. We usually pull these verses out, and we talk just about how temptation works and how we're led into sin. And that's, that's a great application of what he's saying here. But I think it ties back in to his very original thought about considering it all joy. Here's what I think he's saying. I think he says that sometimes when we face life's struggles, we are tempted to give in to sin rather than counting it joy. I think sometimes when we face life's struggles, one of our temptations towards sin is we want to blame God. God, this is all your fault. And we're angry at God because we think he somehow caused this to happen. Or another thing that I think we're tempted sometimes to do is that we're, we're tempted to try to inflict our pain on the people around us. And so we, we, because we're hurting, we lash out, we criticize, we become difficult to live with. We take it out on everybody else that's around us. So here's another temptation I think we have sometimes. I think sometimes we're tempted, rather than counting it all joy, we're tempted to try to cover our pain with other things. Drugs or sex or, or whatever. We're tempted to try to cover over that pain. Here's the other thing sometimes I think we're tempted to do. Sometimes I think we're tempted just to ignore God completely, to ignore Him, to ignore the church, to turn our back on Him and run the other direction. And James says it's a very simple process the way this happens. He says we, we're just sometimes very easily tempted, and it's like, it's like bait. It just lures us in and pulls us right in. And if we give in to it, it it's spiritual death for us. It separates us in our relationship from God. 
But I think James is warning us, when we get to those points in lives where we encounter trials and troubles, life's struggles, when we go through those sifting moments, don't give in to the temptation to sin in the midst of that. Be careful, because we're vulnerable at those times. Here's the next thing he says. Verse 19, he says we've got to listen. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So we have to listen. Think about this. When your young child is throwing a temper tantrum, or later in life when they're a teenager and they're angry, you know, as a parent, we figure out pretty quickly, that's not really the best time to try to teach them a lesson or to reason with them, is it? Because in the midst of their anger, they're no, they don't hear what we say. Or when somebody is just talking all the time, they're not a very good listener, are they? So here, here's where I think James, the application of this and what James is talking about when consider all joy. Hey, he, he says, you know what, in the, if you're, don't be quick to get angry. Don't be quick to speak. Just listen. Because in the midst of your sifting, in the midst of your trial, if you're angry or you're full of activity, you're not going to hear what God wants to try to teach you in the midst of your brokenness. So be slow to get angry. Be slow to speak. Just be quick to listen to what God wants to teach you while he's sifting your life. Here's another one. You've got to do Verse 21, do. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word, which is the Bible, planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If you're following along, you can underline underline that sentence right there. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, I'd like to do that, but verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Do what the Bible says. If I invited you over to my house, and uh, this isn't true of me at all, but uh, to my garage, and I had one of those like really manly garages, you know, with all the, the tools. And maybe I had some welding equipment in the corner. I don't have any of this stuff. Um, I mean, I have a hammer. Um, but suppose you came into my garage and I had all this stuff. You would immediately assume that I must know how to use it all, right? That I must know how to weld and I must know how to use all of those tools. But you know what? Just having them doesn't mean that I know how to use them. Or what if I invited you into my office and all of the thousands of shelves that are in there were filled with books? You would assume that I had read those books and that I was putting into practice what I had read, wouldn't you? But just because I own the book and just because it's on my shelf doesn't mean that I've even read it. Far less does it mean that I'm actually doing what the book says. And for us just to, to read the Bible, that's not the real value. It's not really valuable to say, well, I read my Bible every day of the week. That's a beginning place. But the real value would be found in saying, you know what? I'm going to take just one verse. And just even this one verse, whatever it says to do, I'm going to try to actually do it this week. And that would be the value. 
And I think James is saying, in the midst of life's struggles, when God is sifting you, read the Bible and then do what it says. Read it and then live it out in your life. Several years ago, there was a group of cardiologists that gathered in uh, Atlanta for a convention. And the local restaurants, as they do with most of those kinds of gatherings, they sort of tracked what food was consumed by this, by this, during this gathering because they wanted to have it for future history. Now, wouldn't you think that a gathering of cardiologists, that they would, when they go out to eat, they would try to eat very heart healthy, right? I mean, that's what they tell us to do. Well, as they tracked the consumption of food in Atlanta during that conference, at the top of the list was all of the fast food restaurants and all of the stuff that is, they tell you is terrible for you to eat. They weren't practicing at all what they were telling people they were supposed to do. And we look at that and go, well, that's crazy. Well, how crazy is it for us to read the Bible, especially in the midst of life struggles, and then refuse to do what it says to do? One more. And that is that we need to stir up. We need to stir up. Verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I think James wraps all of this up by saying, when you encounter trials, you want to count it joy? then go serve others. Get the attention off of yourself, off of your struggles, off of your suffering, and put some of your time and energy towards helping other people who are hurting too. Go serve others. You know what? It is in serving others and not in feeling sorry for ourselves that we are most likely to hear the voice of God. Listen, friends, we are going to go through some times of sifting in our lives. It's going to happen. We have to choose whether we will embrace those moments and allow God to break and to refine and to grow us or whether we come out of those struggles weaker and faithless because we didn't embrace them. Now, listen, some of you in this room, the first step you ought to take today is that you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior to begin with. And some of you today, before you leave this place, You need to trust him as your savior because I I can promise you there is going to be trouble ahead and why do it alone? Why not have a savior? Why not have a relationship with a God who wants to help navigate you through those broken moments? So before you leave this place today, some of you need to come and speak to me afterwards and say today, I need to trust Jesus to be my savior and the leader of my life. He died on the cross for you. He has paid the penalty for all of your sin and he simply offers you the gift of knowing that all of your sins are forgiven and you can spend eternity in heaven with God. And then the, the Bible very clearly says that uh, in response or after we have accepted him, we need to publicly declare our faith in Jesus Christ by being baptized or immersed in water. And that we're offering that opportunity today following our second worship experience. We're going to be headed to a nearby pool that's heated. And... Uh, offering the chance for you to publicly declare your faith in Jesus Christ by being baptized. And if you'd like to participate in that today, you can simply come back around 12 o'clock and meet us down here in the front of the auditorium and join us in that baptism today. When I was uh, headed into my freshman year of high school, my uh, 
I was at summer camp and um, got really sick. And uh, finally, after a few days of being sick, they decided, maybe we've got to take this guy to the doctor. And they took me into this little town with a hospital that literally had about 10 beds in it. And uh, the doctor examined me and said, um, I think you have appendicitis. And uh, they called for my parents to come. They were a couple of hours away. And so by the time they could get there and sign all the paperwork for them to do surgery, they took me in, opened me up, and my appendix had ruptured. And uh, I spent uh, 10 days in the hospital with all those tubes and pumping all this stuff out. And they thought I was getting better, and so they sent me home. And so we made that two-hour trip back to our home. And uh, I was home just a couple of days, and I got very sick again. And they rushed me back to the hospital and admitted me and uh, did more surgery and cleaned out the infection. Spent a couple of days in intensive care and 11 total days more in the hospital. And I, I remember the pained look on people's faces as they were taking me to surgery that second time. Very concerned about whether or not I would make it. Now, I got to tell you, as a, as a 15-year-old kid, I, I didn't really count that as joy. All those days laying in the hospital bed, I didn't see the joy of that. I, I didn't embrace those moments. But, but you know what I know now, looking back, is that everything I am today has come in my life as a result of God's sifting and God working in the moments of brokenness, and there have been many, and the moments of trouble and trial, and there have been many, He's been sifting my life to make me who I am today. And little did I know, little did I know, laying in that bed as a young man, very sick, that maybe, maybe God had allowed me to go through that experience because there would be a day down the road when my own son would face a life-threatening illness and that somehow that experience for me was preparing me for the encounter with my son and how I would care for him through that experience. I guess I should have counted it all joy. I should have gone with him. Let's pray together.